What's up, party people? This is Ian Lenhart coming at you from Santa Monica, California, just letting you know that it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And the last few weeks have been absolutely crazy. I'll start kind of leaking some of the life events that have been going on over the next few episodes, but the most mobile one has to do that I am officially leaving Santa Monica, California. It has been an amazing two years. I've met a, a great friends. I love California. I've lived in San Diego, Los Angeles. Angeles. I've lived in San Francisco. I've done Cali. It's time for new chapters. It's time to start fishing, snorkeling, and going from one really bad COVID hotbed to the worst, Miami, Florida. Here we come. I'm really excited for this move. I think it's going to be an absolutely amazing chapter of my life. I'm excited for the friends that I have out there, the moves we're going to make, just the lifestyle we're going to create, and what we're going to do with the podcast and how it evolves and creating an amazing studio. So much is going down. So change is good. Sometimes you just got to pick it up and move along. So the next couple episodes, in inevitably the future are coming at from Miami, Florida. There's many reasons I'm making this move, but I'll release those in the future. But for now, we have an absolute amazing guest on the show. We got Anna Lee. We got the co-founder of Lioness.io on the pod, and she is revolutionizing, wait for it, the orgasm. Yes, you heard that right. Anna Lee is a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur that is revolutionizing sex toys and bringing a whole new element to the female orgasm. Now, this is a really interesting intersection when bringing, you know, this type of industry into the tech world. But Anna's amazing. I mean, her entrepreneurial hustle and, and what she has put into the business from her story of working at Amazon to her come up of building this amazing company in a new industry to just all of the challenges that she has faced. It's truly an epic story for any young entrepreneur that's looking to, you know, make moves, bust into a new industry, have people take you seriously, persevere through everything. Her entire demeanor is incredible, and I know you guys will love this episode. On this episode, we discuss the ups and downs of being a female in engineering, the topic of why sex isn't talked about enough, how to build and scale a business in a complex industry, the effects things like coffee and alcohol can have on an orgasm, and the lessons learned on the way of scaling this type of business. I gotta say, Anna is just such a cool person. Again, I'm super excited for you guys to check out this episode. As always, you can watch this episode live on YouTube. And so, without further ado, episode 104 with Anna Lee. Let's jump into it. We're live. Anna Lee, she's in the building. How are you? Are you in San Francisco right now? I'm in the Bay Area. I'm in San Mateo. Amazing. Welcome to the pod. I'm so excited to talk to you. You're one of the most uplifting, happy entrepreneurs. This is going to be an exciting next hour. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Happy Friday. But yeah, I'm excited. Let's rock and roll. Happy freaking Friday. And you're doing amazing stuff. Forbes 30 under 30, revolutionizing the orgasm, something never really talked about nearly as much in just the tech world at all. You're definitely, you know, a rarity. And I'm super excited just to dive into how you're, you're going about this, this unique idea. But before we even get into that, I would love for you to just give a quick brief background on what you're currently doing today for the listeners listening. Oh, yeah. So my name is Anna. Um, my background is in mechanical engineering. So I was working at Amazon before. 
uh, building like Kindles and future products and things like that. And then now I've been for the past five years working on Linus. We are a sexual wellness startup and we've built the first and only smart vibrator that helps you learn more about your body, improve orgasms all through data. And it's data with a purpose, with research, and just helping you get better information about your own body. Amazing. Down to the T. But it didn't always start like that. Your way of getting into the business is very unique because you kind of started it as a hobby and the hobby turned into this little dream team and this little dream team turned into this amazing product and just what you guys are doing is incredible. Can you kind of walk through that transition from when you were working, just kind of the typical nine to five type thing. You have a fantastic career, right? That most people would dream of, but you decide to walk away from. Can you walk us through that? For sure. Yeah. So I have to preface it with that. I never meant to do a startup. And on top of that, I never meant to work on, I guess, sex toys for a living. Uh, I was actually from the complete opposite of, I grew up in, I was born in the U.S. and I grew up in Korea. And when we went back to Korea when I was a baby and we lived there till I was like seven and we came back to the U.S. So I came from a very conservative Korean family. We didn't talk about sex and I was actually personally very scared of my own body till I was like well into my 20s. Um, and it's just one of those funny life things where I was so set on that I was going to graduate college, go into kind of my nine to five job at a big corporate and just like enjoy my life for the next like 20, 30 years, retire and do all the whatever they expect the American dream to be. Um, and it was just one of those funny things where I was doing it for a couple of years and I loved my team. We were, I was on a, such a cool team where it was called concept engineering. We we're building products that are supposed to be three to five years out that didn't always have to do with the Kindle. So we we're kind what of, company was that with Amazon with Amazon. Amazing. And it was like, we were building products out that um, were basically concepts. So we were kind of like a small team within a big company where we're kind of pitching to executives of here's an idea of a project. Like, do you think we can get it greenlit to become a product? So it kind of did give me a little bit of that taste of startup mentality. And then on top of that, a lot of my teammates were startup uh, previous like entrepreneurs and things like that. So I kind of, that was where I got a little bit of the glimpse of like, Oh, like this might be something cool. Like, I might want to do someday in my life. And I think it was one of those moments where my team was fantastic, but there's this thing that you always know as a one female engineer in a team of 15 dudes, you <laughs> kind of never get to just be an engineer. You're always kind of pegged as the female engineer on the team. And I like, at first I was just like, it weighed on me a lot. Like I didn't like that kind of idea of like, I just want to be one of the engineers. Like, I don't understand why my credentials don't prove that. But I guess as I kind of worked there longer, I remember there was a project we were working on that was a smartwatch. Um, it wasn't, it didn't become a project at all, but they kind of made this prototype and they were like, it's going to be a unisex watch. It's going to be so cool. Like everyone's going to be wearing it. And then I like picked it up and I like put it on my wrist and I was like, you know, no woman would wear this. The watch face is way bigger than my wrist. Like, this is not a, you cannot call this a unisex project. And I remember everyone's eyes was just like this so shocked moment that they didn't realize that this is like, that wouldn't fit a wrist for a smaller person. And so for the next week, I had people coming to my cubicle with the calipers and like rulers measuring my wrist size. And I was just kind of like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe we're building products like this and calling it unisex or for women or whatever. And so, um, 
that was kind of where I, I but, but it's interesting to even hear that because even at a massive company like Amazon, right, they're still figuring things out like many different companies. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I would say like most of all industries that have products that are built, like it, it classically comes from like male led teams. Like if we look at tampon industries, pad industries, and actually the reason why I got into the sex toy industry is that it's a uh, sex toy industry traditionally is completely male dominated. Um, so I ended up meeting a founder of a, another sex toy company that no longer exists. But I remember being like, how do you know what you're building works for people with vaginas? How do you know <laughs> what it feels like on the clitoris or inside the vagina? And he was like, there is this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's what a clitoris feels. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh. And you'll see it at trade shows. If you go to like sex toy trade shows, they will always like kind of have people at the booth being like, oh, put the vibration on your like skin between your thumb and your pointer finger or your nose and feel how powerful. So wait, he used the term industry standard for like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty hilarious. Be like, oh, like test the vibration like here or on your, or like on your nose or I'll, I'll wear your fingers meet. It's, um, it's very silly. And so I just remember being like, this is crazy. That's something so intimate and something that a lot of, I think, people with vaginas and women have is like this question of like, am I normal? Why does my body work this way? It doesn't look like that in movies. Like what, what is wrong with me is kind of a common thing. And I realized like vibrators at the time weren't addressing what that answer doesn't answer. it. It's just kind of like you buy the scene. You're just like, Oh, it's supposed to work for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. And we just realized there's this huge lack of research um, in sexual pleasure for female studies specifically. And it's just such, such a defunded area of research. So we just were like, just saw this opportunity where we could actually change how sexual pleasure is viewed for people with vaginas. But you, but before you like dived and got deeper into this, can you talk about how you kind of started doing this on the side and you're working ridiculous hours and are just absolutely dead? I mean, I, I think it's a really inspiring story because it shows that even if you're super freaking busy for the people listening right now, if you're really stoked on an idea and it makes you happy and it's fun, you can find the time to do it. So can you kind of go into that? Definitely. So, um, so yeah, I was introduced to two people who are my co-founders now that are working on this project idea of a vibrator. And I met up with them and I was like, Hey, like, I want to learn more about what you're doing. And so they're telling me about this project idea, why they're passionate about it. And I was like, Hey, like, I just want to help you do the mechanical engineering. Like that's my expertise. I know how to go to manufacturing. I know how to work with manufacturers. I know how to design and CAD and do all these mechanical design. I was like, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for money, equity, anything. I just want to do it for fun. It seems like a cool project that I'm, I believe in you guys for what you're building. And so that's how it all started. I started <laughs> commuting from my house in San Francisco at the time down to Sunnyvale, which is about an hour, an hour and a half commute to go to work at Amazon. And then I would take the public transportation back up to Berkeley, which is- Is that the BART? Yeah, BART Caltrain. And then that's two hours um, to Berkeley to work on this vibrator idea. And so I would work from like 6 or 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. And then I would go home back across the bridge to San Francisco. And I was doing that maybe for like six months. And there was a moment where I, there was a day I woke up and it was like noon and I slept through like seven alarms. And I realized like, this is not a sustainable way of living. And I realized like I had to make a decision of choosing to really pursue one thing or another. And I would say like, 
luckily with my personality, I'm a little bit impulsive and I'm a little bit like, well, let's just give it a shot. Like, let's just see where it takes it. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? So, um, and the two people, my Liz and James, my co-founders, they're like, we're amazing people. And we just, we connected so well. And we joke all the time now. It's like, they're like, what if we ended up being horrible people? And you like put your, you know, like put your job on the line for like horrible people that took advantage of you. And I was like, yeah. It could have been, but I guess it didn't, so I don't have to worry about it. So, But it's interesting because you built that foundation well before you dived in, right? You're doing six months with these people. You're gaining trust. You're seeing it in action. You really kind of dipped the toes in before making that plunge. So you kind of, you did the best you could have in that situation. And honestly, um, I get asked that a lot. Is like, should I go to corporate? Should I go to startup first? Like, where do I land? And for me personally, I actually did feel really grateful to be a part of Amazon and like uh, my team there because I did meet so many incredible people. And when I was starting to think about making that transition, I started talking to as many people that were entrepreneurs before. And I was like, hey, can we get coffee? And I was like, just asking them questions about their experience and just um, get vegan, getting really close to friends like uh, battery engineers, antenna engineers, because I knew they had this like expertise where I could ping them later and being like, hey, I have a question. Like, how would you do an antenna layout if you had this like small, like, you know? And so it was kind of great because I met, I ended up meeting so many more incredibly experienced people that were just able to kind of give me guidance when I started building this company. Right. And then having that support network when inevitable fires come is important. And then having the corporate background is basically crucial because a lot of people forget that if you ever want to turn your startup huge, you got to figure out systems. And the best way to learn a system is to operate inside of a very good one. And having that Amazon experience is absolutely vital. And I think that sometimes it's, it's almost dissed when you're like, oh, you work a nine to five. It's like, ugh, pathetic. It's like, dude, if you have a successful startup, you're working a nine to nine, right? And you're gonna have to learn how to teach people to create a nine to five. You know, I think that like, that's just like an overall trend in the online marketing world. So it's cool how you went about it, having that foundation. And that led to, you know, Lioness and what you guys are doing right now. At what point did you have that first breakthrough sort of in terms of, you know, building the product and maybe getting that first investment? Mm, so when we first started, actually, we were building an AI vibrator. So the idea was that, it was moving and like changing vibration just by knowing you better. So the more you use it, it would change more to kind of appeal to your likes and dislikes. Um, so when we first started, that was kind of the prototypes we were building. And as we gave it out to people to try, people were like, oh, like it's kind of nice, but like I don't really need, like I don't need it to change itself. Like I know what I like and I like keeping it at one setting and I kind of like leaving it like that. And so we were kind of like, mm, like, okay, so it's kind of the classic startup thing of like, are you building a painkiller or are you building a vitamin, right? Like, are you building something that's absolutely necessary and people need for whatever reason, or are you building something that's kind of like nice to have? And it was clear at that moment, we were building a nice to have, but not, not for everyone. And there was a really great moment where someone was like, so how are you even knowing like how to change the motors and things like that? And I was like, we we're like, oh, we're collecting data on like your arousal, how your pelvic floor movements are, your muscles are contracting and relaxing, which is one of the best indicators for arousal, arousal and orgasm. And she was like, oh, she's like, can I see that graph? And so she, we started showing her all the, the data that it's collecting. And that was the moment they were like, that's really cool. I would love to see that. Cause that's something you don't ever get to see about your own body, right? Like. And so we kind of made, realized this moment of like, 
there's so little research in sexual sexual function for females. In fact, like I always have to tell people like the most recent study that's like really prominently still used to this day by like doctors OBGYNs is a study that was done in 1980s and it was a sample size of 11 women. And that is like the data that we base all these sexual function, whatever, how the body works is from a sample size of 11 people. That's wild because it's, you think about like the, the, such these massive industries that are in the sex toy world, like how are they not doing all these private studies continuously? I mean, even in just like the sexual wellness world, world right? Like we put in billions of dollars into uh, erectile dysfunction, like Viagra, all those people put so much money and I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I know erectile dysfunction is like less than 40% of people experience it. And this whole term of female sexual dysfunction, that's actually experienced by like close to 50% of women and to, or people with vaginas. And so it's kind of a no brainer is like, why don't we have more money or research around this area? But it's just such a taboo topic that right. it's really not been funded for generations. Well, let's talk about that in terms of the tabooness, like how, have you seen in terms of thinking about Arca, how do we get this out? How do we get a sample of people to, you know, go home and, and play with themselves with a dildo? Like, how does that, how do you go about that? Like, what have you learned in that process and, and what has kind of worked for you in terms of the initiatives you've taken? Yeah. So that is, it's really interesting. I would say in terms of people, if it's anything about like, even when we were making prototypes and we needed beta testers, like these were things with like, hand-built silicone and there's like wires coming out connected to a phone and we're like can you try this like we can give it to you for free you just need to try it we actually had such a huge beta list we had to shut it down because everyone when you kind of are like we can give you a free vibrator everyone wants to be on it but i think the harder thing for us we always joke is like we probably picked the hardest category of a startup we could have possibly done because not only is it a hardware startup which is difficult for you know especially in the bay area in every way yeah yeah it's not a sexy place to be and then it's um direct to consumers which is also not a sexy place to be and on top of that we were building this like sex it was a sex toy at the end of the day but it had this like health thing behind it mm -hmm. but when we were going to like even when we try to open a bank account like banks were like sorry this is under pornographic material we can't we can't open you can't have an account with us when we try to do ads on Instagram or Facebook, which is your typical project uh, trajectory to grow your company in terms of marketing, we can't do any of those things. And so, and we kind of get shadow banned if we are on Twitter or Instagram and we put too sexual content. So it's, and then when you go to investors, it's a lot of people being like, I don't know why I need this. My wife doesn't need this. I don't see why this is an important product or I don't think this many people buy sex toys. And so there's the, the stigma and taboo, I think, especially in the U.S., has made it a really fascinating journey uh, to be this type of startup, for sure. Yeah, I guess that investor has to ask his wife to answer that question, you know. But in general, that's really interesting because, like, there's, there's a, a lot of these parties because I'm, I'm in, the, like, in the network marketing world throughout my life. And mm -hmm. people have sex toy parties, and it's a pretty normal-ish thing among females, uh, I've never heard of that among dudes, but it's a very normal thing where, you know, essentially girls will distribute multiple sex toys, kind of like a party. Have you ever thought about using that type of model and like incorporating into those type of businesses? Yeah. So uh, actually my co-founder Liz, our CEO, she actually came from a background of doing passion parties, which is what you're talking about as a Tupperware model of yep, yep. 
uh, like bachelorette parties and things like that. So actually we've, one of the big things we've learned, I think at our company is that Liz and I, as like faces of the company, the more we're able to get out there and talk to people directly, we actually probably have a higher conversion rate um, when we are able to be out there and just talk about our story and why we're so passionate about this um, than any kind of like ads and stuff that we've ever done. So, and I think that really comes from like, uh, both of us are like pretty, I, I don't know, like pretty introverted, like pretty nerdy. We're like both nerds at heart. We're like not super like outwardly hypersexual. We're not, we're just not those type of, types of people. And we both grew up in really conservative families. And so um, I think when people are able to see us being just like humans, like just people out there trying to figure out their own bodies, just trying to figure out their own questions they have about themselves. And we're not like master well, you have to be so good at communicating because you have to make it not weird, which is like a, an ability, right? Because it's like you guys are taking such an intelligent spin on this whole deal that historically has been a weird don't talk about subject. So yeah. that's, that's interesting just to see how your communicative skills have evolved. Oh, man, that's been a really big one, fun one, because I know when we first started, I even had a hard time like seeing the word clitoris or vagina or vulva without like I don't know, doing like the smirk. I mean, I do. Right. It's like the sixth grade, like whatever, like third, fourth grade when you have like sex ed class and they're like, all right, which sexual words do you know? And someone says testicles, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. And then you're like, oh my God. But I, yeah, I think in the past five years, just doing this in and out has just been really like, I, I actually don't remember what's like too explicit and not explicit enough. Cause I will be at like a bar and just being like, okay, so you know, like, there's this G-spot, right? Like, and then, like, historically, there's, like, this clitoris with the clitoris. Like, I'll just start kind of, like, answering all questions that I possibly can to anyone that asks. So, um, I think it's good. I think it's good to continue to normalize and just, like, have fun conversations around it, because otherwise, it gets, it's hard. It's a hard topic, right? Well, the world is crazy and scary and nuts as it is. I mean, we're on a giant flock, roading, a, a giant rock flock, floating in time and space, and we don't know what the hell is going to happen tomorrow, hence the past, you know, 2020 in a nutshell. So if you can enhance your own time, I don't, I think that needs to be talked about more. But no, it's interesting. I feel like this business could turn into something long down, like sort of like Aura, like, you know, the Aura rings? Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I, mean, I use Aura all the time. Every morning I wake up and I look at my like vitals to see how I slept. People are familiar with Fitbits and things of that nature. If it could get to that point where the app gives you so much feedback on your actual body and your own health that it becomes an addiction, like, because I'm like addicted to this, right? You get people like addicted to their <laughs> tracking their orgasms. I mean, you're on to something. No, 1000%. So that's actually the biggest thing is we, uh, we tell people it's a self-experimentation tool. Like you get to be your own mad scientist about figuring out your own pleasure. So we actually do have really awesome, one I would say like I love to highlight is, um, so everybody's orgasm pattern is actually very different. So, and right now it's categorized into three types, which is the ocean type, which is your very classic, um, or not your classic, but it's when your pelvic floor movements are like squeezing and relaxing at a really rhythmic pace and it doesn't really change in force. So it kind of looks like an ocean wave. Um, so that's one type. That's usually the most common type. And then there's one that's called the avalanche where during an orgasm, you'll squeeze your pelvic floor muscles really high and then it'll drop down, but it's still in that rhythmic uh, squeeze and relax, but the pressure goes down over time. And then there's your classic, what we see in movies is the volcano type, which is a huge explosion of force. And then it completely drops down at the end with no kind of rhythmic pattern. 
So every person is like one of the types and I, there's probably more, we don't have enough research to see that, but so you don't really jump from one type to another type. If you're an ocean type, you're kind of forever an ocean type. So the fun thing is once you're able to actually identify what type you are, you can see like, for me, like a cup of coffee will change how my orgasm pattern looks. It looks a lot right. tense and looks a lot more like fun and longer versus like a glass of wine will make me a pretty flat line for me. So, so that's like if I had a cup of coffee and then three hours later I had an orgasm or is that like if I had a cup of coffee in the morning? Like what's the time? Mm, I've done it like a cup of coffee and then like maybe wait 30 minutes and then try using it. So kind of like your direct caffeine effect. Um, and we've tried everything from like CBD lubricants, THC, and like, uh, we've had an athlete that had a concussion and she saw how it completely flatlined her orgasm. So it's really easy to see the nuances. It's just about the fact that we don't currently actively track it in the society. So the hope is when you have alignments, you can do all that and see all the nuances of like, man, I realize like I use it. I use my line a lot more like the last month of the week. And, or the last week of the month, and you realize it's probably because of your hormone cycles and like where you are in your ovulation cycle. So uh, it's really fun. It's like you truly are your own science, your own vagina scientist. <laughs> so like in, in all of your data findings, like what has been the most fascinating discovery for you that maybe might not be as important to other people, but you're just like blown away by it? Oh man. So I did an art, I, there, it, was a, it was a time like maybe one or two two years ago when THC lubricant as like THC came more on the mainstream market um, there were a couple companies starting to make THC lubricants and I was like how does that work because they say you don't get a psychoactive high but you're supposed to like the blood vessels in your like vulva and vagina area like is able to absorb that THC and kind of relax your muscles and I was like that is so bizarre like I'm gonna try it and so um I I I bought a couple brands and I like gave it a try. And honestly, like if I could show you the graph, like it's like, it looks like night and day. It looks like two separate people have used the same vibrator. Cause like my normal one's like a very steady ocean wave type. But then when I had the THC lubricant, like the whole session was just like lots of squeezes up and down everywhere. Like the, the orgasm itself looked a lot more intense. And I was just like really fascinated by this idea of like, it's kind of crazy to think about like what THC can actually, you know, as it comes to more mainstream and there's more research around it, like what it actually can do for people and maybe for people that have like pain during sex or, you know, have a lot more like is more tense and all of that. So it's kind of exciting to see, um, at least personally for me, I thought it was just like such a cool, such a cool like night and day experiment. Have there been uh, like insights and based on like people that have had a few drinks or someone smoked marijuana and like how that affects like any craziness right there? Yeah, definitely. So I would say, so it, the biggest ones like, should, can I buy CBD? Is it going to be different than THC? And I think um, the answer is always like CBD is, you know, it's a totally different thing. It's a lot more about like being relaxed and um, being more calming. And so you'll see different like more chill effects, I think, but THC, I think you can definitely kind of see that people have much longer orgasms in general, and it's just a lot more variance in your pressure in your vaginal walls. So um, that's kind of an exciting one. We've actually partnered with a couple of THC companies like Ease and Bay Vape Pens before, where we gave it out to our Linus customers, and they got to actually experiment themselves, and it's almost consistently like THC is kind of your 
um, really changes how your orgasm looks in general, which is really, really fun. It's like a fun experiment if you live in a state that's legal to do. <laughs> <laughs> have you built like a, a, a solid diehard customer? Do you have some customers that are obsessed or where are you at kind of in that first thousand true customer realm? Yeah, so we, we've started shipping our products. We've been around for five years, but we actually only started shipping our products out two and a half years ago now. Um, and honestly, the most beautiful thing is that we, I think one of the things we thought were that we were going to get purchasers that were going to be in the late 20s to late 30s, kind of like in like metropolitan cities and kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, independent. I'm going to buy a vibrator for the first time, whatever. But actually our like biggest fans and the people that have been the most supportive from day one have been our 50 plus community. Um, and I think it's because it's such an underserved community for especially people with vaginas and like postmenopausal, post-pregnancy women, where your bodies are completely changed or changing over time. And it's like, well, there's never been a product. Like, I don't want to buy this super phallic pink and purple glitter vibrator, like, you know, that looks like a rabbit or a dolphin or whatever. And they want something that's more, just feels a little bit more like, clean and neutral and things like that, but also this idea of being able to give them data and the feedback around that. Um, so our, our, we've had amazing customers that constantly reach out like, I've tried this thing on myself and I've learned this thing about me or sent these people screenshot their graphs and they send it to me and Liz and it's like, can you look at it? Like, what do you think about this graph? Or we've had like a, a person that was uh, seven years old and she was like, I had my first orgasm because I was able to kind of track what was working for me and what was it and that was the first orgasm I ever got to have and so we've kind of gone through this huge beautiful shift of like not shift but like we've just seen so many people just like having so much fun being like owning their own experience and just like enjoying this whole process so we've actually also had a musician uh who used her data and she actually made music with it and so she like released a song that was using her orgasm or her arousal graph data points as like the beats that's interesting could music and sound waves influence your orgasm just by itself i'm sure it could that's something that we've all we've always been like we should talk to spotify and see if they'll link us up with their app on our <laughs> app and see some cool things we can do like <laughs> well it's cool because like you add a classiness to this whole experience right it's not this dungeon experience like you know peace out where have you been it's like oh you know i'm out here bill nine my my own body and, and i think that it opens this new wave where five to ten years down the line i can't imagine it happening anytime soon maybe you'll find a way to get big companies like Facebook and Twitter to understand those boundaries. Cause as we can see, times change pretty quickly. Yes, that is definitely a big one. Uh, we always like to say like, since we started five years ago, yes, like a lot has shifted. There's a lot more spotlight and money in femtech and sex tech in general. Like people are seeing the dollars that are in this industry and kind of knowing to, um, you know, put more attention and love into this kind of entrepreneurship realm. But I would still say, yes, like traditional old school companies or just like bigger companies still have a long way, I think, to go in terms of taking female sexual pleasure as something that's worth like either doing advertisements for putting investments into like your classic CPG companies and all of that. So 
Um, there's still a little bit to go. I definitely do see the shift uh, as we kind of see more companies coming up in this realm. Amazing. First, I just got to call out. It's pretty hilarious that my dog barked and it probably your dog <laughs> heard its bark and then he barked. <laughs> I was like, hopefully you can't hear that. <laughs> no, dual barking going on. It, in this journey, as you progress and as you, you move forward, what is kind of, have you ever had that moment where, you know, the Elon Musk moment where you're just like, damn, we're cash strapped. It's all, it's, it's now or never. Have, has it gotten stressful or do you find it more fun still? Oh, of course it's gotten stressful. Um, I, I mean, I, so I love when people reach out to me and like, I'm thinking about doing my own company, like what's some advice and I think for me, the overall things, lessons I've learned is like, you have to learn to love the grind and you have to learn to love like that you're so passionate about what you're doing, like your mission to do this company that you will stick through all the like thick and thin of how hard it gets. Like we've had moments where we were like all sitting in a coffee shop being like, okay, we have like, what, how much money do we have in the bank account? What do we tell our, you know, all our employees? Like, where do we go from here? Like, how do we save ourselves and make sure this company still exists? And I think we've definitely had those moments where I'm like driving and you're just like, you miss your exit by like eight exits because you're just like in your own thoughts of like, what am I doing? Like, is this even like my worth my time? Like, what have I been building for the past five years? Like all of that. I think 100% those moments come no matter what startup you're in big or small no matter how much money you've gotten funded you're going to have those moments of like figuring out where what where you're going to go from there and so um of course like of course we've had those moments yeah. I just yeah you just have to kind of I don't know for us like I'm so grateful to be in an amazing team of people that are so passionate about this mission of like bringing more research up front for female sexual pleasure and like have working with academic researchers and scientists and doctors. So for us, I've just been really grateful of like that we're all in that hustle. And we were, there were moments where we all took a year of no pay or there were times where we took like, no, we had like no health insurance for a little bit. And I was like, yeah, that's always sketch. Close. Like I, I can't afford to break my leg right now. So we've had those moments. I'm not saying everyone should, those aren't glamorous or like, right right for anybody but yeah we've had those moments where we are all like willing to do that to kind of keep this company that's so that's like that's human passion right there i mean everyone needs hobbies and if you can turn i mean you genuinely enjoy building this company you enjoy the science behind what you're doing you enjoy the mission and it's something that yeah you might get you know overworked and you might get stressed out but you're not just turned off, no pun intended, off of the whole idea, right? Like you see the big picture, you see the milestones, the whole pioneering. And is it interesting talking to media sources? Because I'm, I'm assuming media would eat your company up. I mean, just the headlines themselves are so captivating. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit polarizing. I think it really depends where you kind of go for media. Like we've had like, you know, like amazing reception from like cosmopolitan or glamour and just kind of like you're more like traditional like open to talking about more sexual wellness but i know like when we tried working with the pr agencies they're like we're gonna get you on like abc network or like you know all these like big like good morning america like whatever like all these things and then they're always like 
okay, they all said no, that's too, it's too sexual, like, they, they're not ready to talk about it, they're not comfortable talking about this kind of topic, so we've gotten kind of a little bit of both, like, either sometimes people are super jazzed, and they're so excited that there's this project that's, or product that's coming out that, or is out that um, has this wellness and health aspect, and this science aspect of it, but then there's also the people that are like, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's still a sex toy, I'm really uncomfortable talking about it, so, like, we've even had, like, when we try to do podcast ads, like a lot of podcasts were like, sorry, we can't do this as an ad. I'm not comfortable talking about it. And I'm, you know, everyone's different, like more power to you, like whatever your preference is. But it, it's a little bit of a bummer sometimes because we're like, man, like it could really change, I think, how we advertise and how we get out in, get out in front of p- new people if we were able to kind of do more traditional paths. But um, a lot of times the people are still a little too scared. <laughs> Have you explored the whole like adding a SaaS element to it? And if so, what does that look like? Mm, so we haven't really done that yet. Um, I think for us, maybe the biggest thing we're working on, uh, we actually just very recently launched a research platform. Um, and that's something kind of like that aligns with our mission and what we've wanted to do for years. So it's this platform where now researchers can kind of come on and be like, hey, I'm doing this research study. I need these many people. I need this demographic. And then it actually connects to our Lioness users and they're able to opt in or opt out. And when they opt in, it's the only time we can share that data, um, your like personal like uh, masturbation session data. And we can share it with that researcher to kind of create what we like to think is some of the world's biggest research studies around this like world. And so the hope is that they're seeing this like efficacy of like having something that's like a, you know, a product that's low price in terms of like scientific tools or research and then kind of connecting to real life people and then connecting it to researchers and though the goal is to see how we can um, kind of integrate it into any research study that needs kind of like information around sexual pleasure or sexual wellness or how that's changing for people with vagina so um yeah we're a little bit looking into that realm but really we want to just like get more research out there first and show that this is a product that can do that Basically, yeah, build the uh, build the whole understanding of how number one, this isn't a joke. This is serious research backs up that y'all better give me twenty million Series A because we making moves out here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what's the what's the patents like in the sex toy industry? Is it and how does it compare to maybe other industries that you've explored? So the sex toy industry is really interesting when it comes to patents. Like everyone has their products and, you know, technology patented as they should, but it's a little bit interesting. And I think this overall goes with like our experience in like certification process or anything. Um, Nobody really knows how to deal with sex toys. And so whenever a, a professional document comes through, that's like, we need to get FCC certification, you know, for our sex toy. Like, or FDA actually made this like very specific exclusion for sex toys because it sounds like they didn't want to deal with, you know, having a bunch of sex toys come and FDA having to approve it. So uh, sex toys are not actually under FDA approval or requirements or anything like that, which is, can be horrible because you get terrible products and materials that are used that aren't actually body safe. But that aside, so when you look at patents, a lot of times I think whoever's reading the patents, a lot of times is like, I don't know, that sounds very like different and whatever. So yeah, it's approved. And I feel like there's a lot of times when patents get approved in the sex toy industry that shouldn't have gotten approved because it's like, I don't know, like 
a new charging method. So almost like the laws to approve are so ambiguous and changing so much that some that shouldn't have gotten through got through and the people that are more classy than them don't get through and you're just frustrated. Yeah, and it's like technology that like already exists, but then you're like suddenly like, but this charging method that's been around for decades is now in a sex toy. And then someone goes, yep, that is patent worthy. And so someone has a patent on it. Um, so it gets a little bit interesting. And I think also the sex toy industry is like, people know how much money is in it. And once there's a, there's a hot vibrator or sex toy, so many people start purchasing all over the world. And so uh, like 80 different copycats will come, right? Like, uh, for example, suction vibrators became like this it product, I think four years ago. And all of a sudden you'll see suction vibrators, like every single company has released it, even though there is a patent that exists about suction vibrators, but everyone's made it, you know, just a little bit different, or they're just like, they're not going to pursue the lawsuit. So I don't know what the, the dynamic is. And so, um, yeah, now we're seeing like 80 different kinds of suction vibrators all over because they know it's going to sell. So it's the patent world. I think the sex toy industry is really interesting to look at. Um, there's definitely patents that come across that I'm like, how did this get approved? Like this, <laughs> this should not have gotten approved. So yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting wild out west, I think, in that area. Can you uh, give us a little experience of sort of the UI that you guys have built in terms of your app? Mm, so, um, yeah, so that's been a really interesting kind of uh, experience for us to go through as well, because it's the hard thing I think for us is, you know, when people ask, like, well, who's your competitor? There's currently no vibrator out there that is kind of giving you data and information around your arousal, your pleasure and your orgasm. And so we are kind of like, how do we build something that, you know, people are familiar with? but it's this completely new concept of like looking at arousal and orgasms that no one's ever shown data wise to any, you know, general media. And so the flow of the app was like, we started looking a lot at like um, other body tracking kind of things like sleep apps or fitness apps and all of that to kind of adopt those kinds of same similar concepts and starting putting in our app of like, okay, like that's how we're going to show it. And then figuring out like, okay, when it's at an orgasm, how do we make it look like it's so obvious, like this is the, your orgasm, this is why it's so fun and incredible. It's interesting because we're in a, in a industry where this has never been seen. So orgasm data, pleasure data to the general masses has not been a thing that's been shown. And so the interesting challenge is kind of to figure out how do we find that fine balance of educating people on this brand new concept, but also make it something that feels very familiar. Um, so I think when we first started, it did tend to be a lot of graphs and charts and things like that. But, you know, looking at graphs and charts don't always seem like the most fun thing to be able to do, especially when you're experiencing like what your masturbation session looks like, your orgasm. So um, right now what we're rolling out is kind of a reiteration of how we're doing that. So a lot of it is trying to make it a more interactive kind of visual space of how you see your orgasm, how it changes. So making it a lot more fun and colorful, um, giving people ways to uh, experience it differently, like tones. And so, and that's also for like the visually impaired to be able to hear how the, the pressure is changing over time or having live views so that you can be using it with your phone if you do want to and see kind of how it's changing in real time. So we're definitely kind of adding more features as we roll out. And the nice thing is that uh, we're a really small company, so when you email us like customer service or feedback, um, it's always the three co-founders that are reading it. So we kind of have taken a lot of those kind of feedback and kind of continue to create more experiences for people to just 
visualize their orgasm in fun ways. And what are those metrics that the app's capturing on a daily basis or on a session basis? Yeah, so the biggest one is that because we have pressure sensors, it's tracking your pelvic floor movements. So it can actually be used anally, which means that male um, people uh, that want to either use it just anally or men can also use the product. Uh, it works the exact same way. Your orgasms look exactly the same. So um, you're seeing that pressure data of how it's changing during the session, how you're changing the motor vibration during that time. And then also you can add tags and notes to the session and star ratings to kind of remember like, oh, this was like a really, really good one. This one was like a really bad one. It's starting to kind of, it's almost like a sex diary. A sex diary. That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. That's how you have to have fun with it. We have a lot of um, people in like the swinger community. Can too. you track your, like your temperature and like, like the things that an aura ring could do? Could it do many of those same things just during that session you're having? So hypothetically we can, uh, we do have a temperature sensor on the shaft of the vibrator, but we actually currently use that as an auto trigger to record the session. So if you're just like playing around with the lioness and you turn it on, like just to like play around with it, it's not recording in that data because that's junk data. So we actually use the temperature sensor as a way to auto record like, oh, it's inserted into a body. Now I can collect this data because this is meaningful data. So right now we do have the, we could have the capability to add more and the hope is to continue adding features. Um, the nice thing we always like to say is like, Linus is like the iPhone of vibrators because we're always updating, adding new firmware updates for all our users. So capabilities and features are continuing to grow as you have this one Linus vibrator. Incredible. Literally revolutionizing the orgasm. You're going down in history. You're going to be on every biggest magazine front cover. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> this is an exciting journey and your enthusiasm and overall stoke for the mission and just your on targetness is, is very impressive. It's only going up for the team. How do you picture three to five years dream life? And it doesn't have to be about the company, right? I'm just talking Annalee as a human. And this is a tough, right? Because everything changes like month to month in today's <laughs> society. It's like three months. Let's talk about next month. So where, where could you see yourself in a dream situation three to five years from now? Yeah, so I would say Linus-wise, the hope is to be um, really just deep into the research and expansion of academic and uh, medical research and using this as a tool for a lot of all the research studies that have to do with anything that has to figure out um, like sexual pleasure for uh, female bodies. But aside from that, I am a huge part-time uh, gardener and plant lover. Uh, and also I'm really into surfing. So I've always wanted to move a little bit out of the city, like even further out close to the coast that I can be surfing at times, uh, big enough land that I can be gardening and growing all sorts of fun stuff and trees and have some chickens and all of that. That's always been kind of like my dream to be able to do that. Um, I think I've learned, especially during this pandemic, that city life is not my thing. I don't really miss restaurants. I don't miss bars. I want to be like chilling out in nature. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And that just sparked an idea. I would be very curious to understand or know if research comes out that basically shows that a certain number of orgasms throughout the day could have the same effect as say something like Tylenol or like at what level could an orgasm just be good for your overall health? Like we all know sex is good for the human mm -hmm. brain. It's good for everything we do, right? But it's so it would be it's the, the actual statistics and research that goes behind it. I mean, it's an everlasting topic. I mean, there 
thousands and thousands of books could be written on the data that you could figure out on this exact topic. It could lead to breakthroughs in so many industries. That would be super cool. No, it's kind of like an orgasm a day will keep the doctor away. Maybe it'll be the new thing in the future. <laughs> or maybe like, um, you know, when you like for, if you like forage like wild plants in your area and it always says like, you can eat some, but don't eat a lot because once you eat too many, it's poisonous. So I'm like, one meal. yeah, it's, it's, it would be really fascinating to know what that line of like, how it actually does affect all realms of your wellness and health and all of that. Or like if there was a double blind study of say a thousand people that have chronic migraines and half of them are, you know, having four orgasms a day, the other aren't like, what are those studies? Like what, what happens? Yeah, that'd be super cool to know. Cause that would be such a fun, um, yeah, what a fun medication to help you with your ailments in the future. Yeah, yeah, like that's how sex toys kind of came to be. Is that um, like the whole idea of hysteria for women when they had these medical ailments that people didn't know how to treat? It was always just categorized under like hysteria, which is the womb and this idea of like the womb is wandering and er, whole, like hurting different parts of your body, and so completely back then there used to be this whole thing where they women go into doctor's offices and they get these massages which were basically just like manual stimulation and then they get this paroxysm which is now what we know as an orgasm and they thought that that was actually releasing all the toxins in your body and fixing you of your anxiety or sickness or headaches and all that so when, when, when was that like how long ago was that so let me think so the I know in like the second century AD was the whole concept of the wandering womb and hysteria. And since then, like doctor's offices, I think in 1869 or something, 1869 would be too convenient. <laughs> like 18 something, um, there was a doctor that actually created this machine called the manipulator. And that is a like a vibrating machine that was steam powered. And it was because he was so tired as a doctor of manually having to stimulate all these women coming into his office and having to give them orgasms that he created the steam powered vibrator that was like in doctor's offices. And that was kind of where the birthplace of mechanical vibration for masturbating came from. And then people were like, this is so cool. I'm going to, I want one in my house. And then all these like smaller vibrators came out. Do you know that guy's name? His name, oh man, Dr. George, I'm going to say Dr. George Taylor. All right. Well, if that's the name, Dr. George Taylor, you're a legend. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> well, that's- It looks very scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. So looking back at this, at this journey, if you could have told yourself maybe one, two or three things when you, you know, maybe you're working at Amazon, you're thinking about diving deeper into this whole startup deal. You're three months in with these, with your two now co-founders. What are one, two or three things that could have saved you a ton of time, money, headache, heartache? And, and the best answer is I wouldn't have changed anything because it made me who I am today. But to play along, what are some of those things that you think that younger you would have been like, okay, girl? Man, that is a good question. I think a big one, and I say this a lot, I think especially it goes to like, you know, people that identify as women or whatever is like figuring out your place in like a very male dominated world, right? And especially in the startup industry, there's this whole focus on like female founders and there's so little female founders. And I, I truly had this imposter syndrome and I still do some from time to time now of like, what am I doing? Like, how do I even, how am I an expert? How am I the person that's supposed to be here? How am I the person that's supposed to represent our company? 
And I think, and because I never wanted to even be an entrepreneur or thought that I was going to do a startup, I think there's this huge thing of like, am I, am I knowledgeable enough in this? Am I legit enough to go into VC offices and like pitch and ask them for their money? And I think the big thing is like, man, nobody knows what they're doing in startups. Like that is just like a general rule that everyone is just doing the best they can. And I think, um, really like for me is the passion just drives like everything you want to learn everything you need to get better at and so I think that's truly like my sentiment of like just feeling confident in just being like fuck I'm gonna just do this I'm gonna make this work I'm gonna make this happen um like I don't care what other people say I don't care if people don't think I'm qualified enough or I look too young or I dress too feminine blah, blah, blah. so uh I think that's a big one and I think the other one I actually, I would say, and I say this to a lot of college students, is that I really wish I took more philosophy and history classes in college. And I, I went to Cal. It's one of the best schools to learn kind of the history, history and philosophy and all the beautiful like um, liberal arts studies. But because I was an engineer, I was like, I don't need any of this. I don't need to learn how to write, like whatever. I don't need this in my life. And I think a big thing in startups is you, you cross very, like you cross paths paths where you're like, do I make this decision? Is this morally right? Or is this go against everything we've built our company on or our morals or, you know, we're building our culture and all the guidelines to that and like how we, how we hire inclusively and with diversity, like those, all those things constantly come into play. And like historically, if you were learning, if you knew the history behind why the world is the way it is and the philosophy between like what's good and what's bad, I think it would really have saved me a lot more trouble and heartache of like, figuring out like who I am. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Um, I really wish I did more of those kinds of things when I was in college. And I mean, I can totally do it now. I looked at Coursera classes to like, kind of like start that whole journey. But I think it's silly to be like, I'm an expert in one thing and I'm going to be only really good at one thing because there's going to be millions of people that are way better than you in, in that one specific thing. But when you're an intersection of a couple things, right, and the little skills that you build around it, I think that makes you the person that is the only person that can really do that in that skillful way. So I'm a huge proponent of like having intersectionalities of, but also being really good at one thing, but just having an overall greatness in other things as well. That was amazing. I really liked what you said there. And I totally agree when it comes to the fact of being able to go toe and toe with somebody, but on your playing field, right? There's people out there that we think of, they're just untouchable. They're legends. You know, how do you even have a conversation with somebody that has built a company to, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars or has, you just done a feat that just seems so almost impossible. But it's like that human might be very good at a few really good skills. But if you take him out in the, you know, in the kitchen, you start going chicken pie, like apple pie versus <laughs> apple pie, you might find yourself being better than that person in many different things. And the idea there is you are valuable. You just got to meet people in certain sectors and find those common denominators. And I think those are what some of the best connectors and networkers do. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously, you know, super entrepreneurs, they're not the best at everything, but they assemble the pieces of everything. And I try to put that thought process even into the podcast when meeting amazing humans, like, Hey, look, obviously I'm intimidated. Whoa. Like we got Anna in the building, like damn. But the fact is, is that if you can meet somebody where they're at, you can go toe and toe in any way in a startup with talking to investors and raising capital and pitching people in some weird circle at, you know, 
sex toy parties, whatever it may be, you know, you, you figure out the vibe and you chase it. Totally. Yeah. I'm a huge thing of like, if you have skills that you're not good at, like don't waste your time, like stressing about trying to get really good at this skill, find people that fill that need and just get really freaking good at the stuff you're naturally kind of picked up on and you can hone to be better and better faster. Cause otherwise you're, I don't know, you're playing in your other people's playing pool exactly like you're saying you're never going to be able to compete in that. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know our audience does too. This is definitely one of the most interesting podcasts we've ever done. And you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer. We're grateful you graced the cast. How can people learn about the product? How can people send you inquiries? How can people get on the beta? Like tell, tell the people how to get involved. Yeah, so you can always come through our website, linus.io, um, and then all our social media is Linus Health. So I would say our website is a little bit more fun because it's a little bit more in-depth and in detail. Uh, we write a lot of the content and blog posts were started by all the co-founders, so we write a lot of fun things like anal plugs or uh, anal play 101 or how to do edging or how to, uh, how what toys you should use with your half couples all of those fun things. So you should check us out. Um, and yeah, if you ever have questions, come on to our like help at linus.io. I guarantee you one of the co-founders is reading it. And if you're like, this message is for Anna and it goes pings directly to me. So uh, if you have questions or you want to reach out, please do or onto my social media or whatever. <laughs> well, we appreciate you. I'm looking forward to staying in touch again. Thank you so much for your time. Can't wait for this to come out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.